If you want to uh, follow along in your Bibles today, we're looking at John 1, so the Gospel of John 1, if you want to start looking for that or ping it out in your digital device with your Bible app, iPhones, iPods, iPads, all those sorts of things, or Samsung, they're the only options, aren't they? (coughs) What we've been doing is, uh, if you went around last week, I started a series of talks called Living It. And I was thinking, it's living it, you know, <laughs> living it, man, we're living it, ain't we? Living it, getting down, we're living it. <laughs> um, it's all about living the, our life, Jesus' way. Le- living life the way that Jesus would have us live life. And the whole big idea is that Jesus, I said, invited each of us to be his Talmudim. That was the Hebrew word for disciple. He's put us all, he invited us all to be his disciples, his apprentices, is what we were saying. And so if we're going to accept that invitation, we're going to go with that invitation. As apprentices of Jesus, it means that we're going to order our lives, we're going to structure our lives and focus around three main goals. This is what I was talking about last week. Can anybody remember what those three main goals were? <laughs> yeah, yeah. First is to be with Jesus. Second one is to be calm like Jesus. And then thirdly is to do what Jesus did, wait! I'm impressed! That's where it is. It's to become, it's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Those are the three things, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, that we're going to try and focus our lives on doing. Just those three things. Simple, huh? No, it's not simple. It is, it's simple. It's simple, straightforward, not easy. That's the word. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. What I want to do is kind of dig into those goals a little bit and kind of unpack them, what it actually means to us as followers of Jesus as, you know, as we kind of pursue in that. So, okay, let's start then now by looking at John 1 <coughs> from verse 35. We go through to 46 with a gap in the middle, okay? Should we start by praying, actually? <laughs> let's pray. Let's pray. I, 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 my head's everywhere at the moment and I need to... Holy Spirit, come. We, oh, well, again, you, you're here. You're here before we came today, Lord, and it's good to be in your presence. And Father, we just come collectively, come together to come and, and, and search you and to find you afresh in your word today. And I pray that you would move by your spirit as I just share some things that I feel you have to say. Would you come and just move on in, every individual in this room? Lord, and may we, we go away having known that we've met with you, that we've been touched by you, that we've been challenged by you. Lord, I just pray that you would empower this word, that it would be more than just a simple message, that it would be your word that would bring life to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Whew. Breath day. Okay, from verse 35. The next day, uh, John, this is John the Baptist, John was there again. And what John is down, he's down by the edge of the Jordan River. He's been baptising people. So the next day, John is there again with his two Talmudim, his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two, two disciples that were with him heard him say this, they followed Jesus. The splitters. Uh, yeah, so they went and followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and uh, following him, and he says to them, "What do you want?" They said, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Where are you staying? Well, come, he replied, and you will see. 
So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. Uh, it was about four in the afternoon. And we skip down to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, just like Andrew and Peter, was from a town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law um, and, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything come from there? Nathaniel asked. I don't know why he's responding. What? Nazareth? Are you serious? It's like, it's like Southbrook. In that, Southbrook in Nazareth. Nothing comes from Southbrook. I can say that because I come from Southbrook. I live on the Southbrook side. So, Nazareth, there's nothing comes from Nazareth, does it? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. I was, I was thinking, I love the way... Uh, Jesus interacts with these would-be disciples, you know, and he kind of interacts with them and he says, come and you'll see, or come and see. If we were going to use today's sort of language, it would be, come hang out, guys. Come and hang out with me and come, and you'll discover whether all the rumours about me are actually true. You'll see what I actually have to offer you. Or to put it another way, come and be with me simple as that. Come and be with me. Now that was the invitation of Jesus back then and that is the invitation, the open invitation to us all today. Okay, now the question that I raised last week was, yeah okay, I understand that. That was Jesus back then, first century Israel, he was there, but he's not physically here. He's not here in the flesh so to speak. So how on earth does this kind of work out? Jesus is off, he's with the, you know, at the right hand of the Father. I've read that in the Bible somewhere. He, he, he's up there, so how, how does it work out? The 21st century Daventry, England. You know, how, how does this work? Actually, if we look a bit further on in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. Now what we see here is as Jesus starts to get a little bit closer to the impending cross, you know, he's coming to the time of the cross. What we see is he starts to talk more and more about how he's going to go off somewhere, but he's going to send the one who he calls the Holy Spirit. And that's verse 16 in chapter 14. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and he's that language, to be with you forever. You see that phrase that Jesus said, <clears throat> I'm going to ask the Father for another advocate. Now that, that, that word advocate there, another advocate, apparently it was a real difficult, a real tricky word to translate from the original Greek to English. Now we have it here as advocate. It could be translated as another like me, an, an, or another one of me, is how it could have been translated. It's like, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another one of me to be with you forever. Verse 17, it's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it never, uh, neither sees him nor it knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. It's that interchange of he will, I will, uh, he won't, I will. It's just that this strange interchange of him and I mix up. Now further down in verse 25, he said, All this I have spoken while still with you, but, again there's that phrase, the advocate, uh, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will write, remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so what Jesus is saying here, quite clearly, is if you and I, we want to be with Jesus today, to do so, we, we, we do so through a connection, this coming of this advocate upon us, within us, uh, it's, it's, it's a connection with the Holy Spirit. And this is what I was saying last week, is that our number one goal as apprentices in being with him is learning to live in the constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit, right? Learning to live in an ongoing state of connection uh, to and with, <laughs> I start again, living in a constant state of awareness of and in connection to the Holy Spirit. So that's the number one step. That's our number one goal, our first thing. Come and hang out with me. Let's hang out with Jesus, is what we're all about. Then Jesus, he kind of shares like a, a metaphor, a kind of picture, an image to explain how, that, how we live in that reality of this, this new state. This is in chapter 15 now, right? At the beginning of chapter 15. And some of this will be familiar to some of you. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will, it will, it will bear even more, be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see that phrase? Remain in me. Remain in me. I remain in you. Remain in. Remain in. This continual uh, phrase that keeps popping up. That remain in is a Greek word meno. And it translates here as remain. In other versions, it's translated as abide. Some of you probably had older versions of the Bible. That's why you read it. It's abide in me, and I will abide in you. The whole idea of that word is it's to stay at home with me. Make your home in me. <laughs> That's a great way of saying it. Make your home in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, so if you make your home in me, stay in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So loads of real good stuff is going to come out of your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, my Talmudim, my uh, apprentices. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I want to show you uh, something really quite amazing now. This, is, this will blow your mind. This will... This is incredible. I don't think you've ever seen anything like this before. But you've got to, you've got to keep an eye on my hand, okay? 
So, you ready for this? You look at, some of you are looking at me. You go look at the hand because this is incredible. You ready? <laughs> Sorry, did you miss it? I'll do it again. All right, you ready? There we go. Keep watching. Wow! Isn't that incredible? <laughs> you look at you like, yeah, Rob, really incredible. <clears throat> hey, seriously, what that just happened there is I had a thought in my mind about moving my fingers, wiggling my fingers about, and that thought sent like a pattern, a signal down through my neck into my arm, down my arm into, into, the, into the hand, and then that signal, it kind of triggered a load of muscles to contract and expand, and that's the way it did that, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't it? Some of these mad people are agreeing with me. <laughs> Do you know what? When I was running through this in my head, I was thinking everybody's going, that's what I pictured it, everybody's going, and I was thinking, oh, yeah. you don't take the same tablets as what I take. That's what it is. But <coughs> well, you don't drink the same coffee brand as me. Uh, but no, it's, it's amazing. What, what the point is, is that this could only happen, that the thing happened, because my arm is attached to my body, right? If I was to disconnect my arm, and not only would it be a real good trick to do on here Sunday morning on the stage live, if I was to disconnect my arm and sever the arm, clearly that wouldn't be able to do. It'd be dead. It just, there was no way that the signals could go from my brain down my arm and through, through the, the length of my arm to my hand and so on and so forth. So, and that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what Jesus was saying with his... I know oh, this is a bad illustration, isn't it? But that was the best I could come up with. I'm sorry. Um, that's what Jesus was talking about. With the, the vine metaphor, he was saying, just like my arm needs to be connected to my body in order to live and function and do... We need to be connected to him as the vine, as the, uh, the branches into the vine, in order for us to live and function and so on and so forth. Now, this little phrase, meno, as I was saying, remain in, this abide in, this make your home in. You know, in this short passage, it appears ten times. It does, I counted. It's ten times <clears throat> in just a short passage. I get the impression Jesus was trying to get something really important across, you know, Abide in me. Abide in me. Remain in me. He's saying, get, you know, get connected to the Father. Get into the Father's presence. Root yourself there. Centre yourself on him right in the Father's presence and stay there all day, every day. That's where you've got to be. <clears throat> now, what he's not saying is, is that each of us, we've got to pack up life, pack up everything, go move into a monastery, <laughs> and that's it now for, for life. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> What he's saying is, and what's implied here, is that we need to be those, as followers of Jesus, those who are learning to live in two places at one time. What are you talking about, Rob? It's sounding like the Matrix now. <laughs> we got to live in two places at what time? What I mean by that is, you know, we need to learn to actually come down in the morning, be in our dining room and eat our Weetabix or our Alpen muesli, depending on how posh you are, um, and in the Father's presence. Right? We need to be, uh, learn to be those who are in the traffic, in our car, heading to work in the morning, and in the Father's presence. We need to be those who are kind of meandering around Tesco, uh, doing our grocery shop, and in the Father's presence. We need to be those who are sipping coffee in the ca- canteen at work with all our work colleagues, and in the Father's presence. We need to be those, we need to be learning to be living in two places at one time. You know, there are numerous uh, phrases and expressions that within Jesus' teaching and within other New Testament writers and within 
you know, church history, when you look at church, uh, church people, church members, church leaders of the past, that describe this kind of relationship with God. And as we said, so here, Jesus calls it abiding, <laughs> this remaining, this making his home, making your home in. There's an instruction that the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Thessalonian church, and he uses this phrase, he says, it's pray without ceasing, is the way he phrased it. In other words, it's kind of this constant 24-7 communion with God every day, all day. <clears throat> the Catholic Church, they call it contemplation or contemplative meditation. That's a hard word, isn't it? Contemplative meditation, that's right. Yeah. Um, There's a 17th century medieval mystic, a guy called Brother Lawrence. Some of you may have heard of him. He called it practicing the presence of God. I just love that phrase. Isn't that a wonderful way of saying it? Practicing the presence of God. A little bit about um, Brother Lawrence. Yeah, Brother Lawrence, he, he wasn't a particular you know, sort of celebrity monk, you know, a well-known uh, guy. He just had a lowly job. He just worked in the monastery, in the kitchens. He did all the cooking and cleaning all their pots. A little bit later on, he advanced and went on to repairing sandals. <laughs> that was his job, really lowly job. Now, despite his lowly position, his, uh, his character attracted so many people to him. People come seeking spiritual wisdom and guidance from him. Why might that be? Well, he managed to develop a reputation for devoting his life to one thing, and that is this thing that he called practicing the presence of God. Throughout his entire waking day, you know, whatever he's going on, whatever's involved in his day, whether he was in the, just the monotony of repairing footwear, or if he's in the bash and clang and clatter of, in the kitchen or whatever, he's just right there. I just sought the nearness of God. And then what he did is he shared this kind of profound peace that he found in that place, wherever he was in the day. And people were just like, wow, they were just like, wow, by it. Now, he wrote loads of letters and he wrote lots of wisdom writings to people all over Europe. And basically, after his death, they collected all these writings together and they put it into this book here, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's just a small book. I haven't read it yet. I've read all of it. I've read bits of it. But it's a real small book. You can read it in 20 minutes if you're a good reader like Ange. Take about a month and a half for me. Um, but yeah, so, so that's what they were. They brought all this collection of the, his writings together and, uh, and brought it to that book. But what, um, wouldn't it be amazing if each of us could experience that constant awareness of God's presence in our life, wherever we were, whatever we were doing, where, you know, at work or wherever, just the Holy Spirit is there. Well, according to Brother Lawrence, it takes, it's a lifetime of practice to get that. We've got to work at that. We have to practice his presence. There was an author and a speaker on the topic of like spiritual growth. Excuse me, a guy called William Paulsell. He wrote this in, in connection with this. He said, "It is un- unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganisation of our own lives." But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. <clears throat> there is nothing that enriches our lives more than being in that connection with God. So no, no relationship can enrich our life like that. No career 
no uh, you know, accumulation of stuff and money and wealth. Nothing enriches our life as more than a continual state of awareness of God's presence in our life. So we need to work at that. <laughs> Think about that some, some more in our life. Now this is where uh, what they call the spiritual disciplines come in, spiritual practices. Do you know, I, I'm not keen on that phrase, spiritual disciplines. I, I think I said this last week. I'm not keen on the spiritual uh, disciplines because I kind of get a picture of something that you dish out to kids when they've been naughty. <laughs> you discipline them. So I, I got a better phrase. I think I got a better phrase than that. Um, I think it would be better to be called common sense habits. Common sense habits, the practice routines that you put into to our life, and they're common sense things, and we'll, let, we'll have a look at uh, why that is the case. They are practices that you and I do with our mind and with our body and with our, uh, you know, everything, our whole being. They're habits, they're practices that we do that steer us towards, that focus us in, uh, focus in our life around the person um, and the reality of who God is. You know these all these practices that I'm talking about, the, I've got them written down. Silence and solitude, prayer and fasting, reading of the scriptures, Sabbath keeping, practicing community, togetherness, all these sorts of things. Now, in, in the first 1,500 years of the church, they were just like the basis point of what it means to apprentice to, to Jesus. They were just like, this is it. This is what you do when you're apprentices. You engage in these practices. And yet today, I'm not even sure that we understand what they all mean. <laughs> they, are, they are just so counterintuitive to you know, normal life, modern day society. We as a church, we seldom, we, I, I mean, I'm trying to think at the time that we've had somebody come to faith in Jesus and then we've said, okay, now look, this is how we do community. Or, or this is how you read the Bible or this is how you pray and this is how you fast. We just, we don't do it. I think at best we probably say, you should be now reading your Bible. <laughs> you should be doing this. You should go to church. You should. And it's kind of it's like it's become the next Ten Commandments. Oh, we were free from the law. We've got new laws now. You've just got to do this, 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 and this. <coughs> you know, when these practices are presented as a, just a pile of rules, what does it do to the human heart? You know, what does it do to the new or even the seasoned apprentice of Jesus? Well, we get tired of the rules. <laughs> don't we? Especially if we don't know why we've got to do the rules and you know, why we're forced to actually keep the rules. What I think we need to do is put a greater emphasis on the fact that these practices are a means to an end. They're not an end in themselves. They get us somewhere. <clears throat> in other words, the point of reading the Bible, is the point of reading the Bible to read the Bible? <laughs> is the point of reading the Bible to know the Bible more? No. <laughs> no is the answer. The point of reading the Bible is to get, get our lives more connected with Jesus, to come into his presence and to know him more. <clears throat> Is the whole point of prayer, prayer. <laughs> is the whole point of uh, fasting, fasting. Is the whole point of silence and solitude, just so I can check the box, I've done some alone time this morning, tick. <coughs> ah, of course it's not. All of these spiritual practices, all of these common sense habits, or whatever you want to call them, they're a means to an end, and that end is, first and foremost, to be with Jesus. So, first of all, they're a way that we present ourselves before God. So, 
if it's a coming together to practice community in life groups, which we're going to share more about next week. Well done, Rob, for plug it now. That's good, good move. So if it's, you know, about coming together in community, uh, or if it's a practice of silence and solitude before we go to work on, on, on the morning, or whatever practice is throughout our day or throughout our week, recognise they are just ways to kind of slow down and stop, step outside of just the routines and the noise and the busy life, and to tune our hearts and our minds and our imaginations and our bodies into the frequency of the Holy Spirit. That's what they're for. They're not an end in themselves. They're a means to an end. Now, in Galatians 5, which we're not going to look at this week, we're going to look at next week. But just so you know, uh, in it, Paul uses another phrase for this connecting with God, this coming together, this abiding. The phrase he uses in in Galatians 5 is keeping in step with the Spirit. He says keep in step with the Spirit. So next week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack what it is that this abiding in the vine, remaining in, keeping in step with the Spirit, what these practices, practices actually produce in our life, what they do in every single one of us. Because that's the other thing. As well as them being the, pa- the basis point for us coming and presenting ourselves before God, they also, over time, they actually start to shape us. They start to transform us from the inside out. They make us more like Jesus. <clears throat> they affect, do you know, they affect well, our outlook on the world. They affect everything in life, our relationships, all these practices. Okay, great, you're thinking. But, you know, when I wake up tomorrow morning, how do I actually put feet on this? How how do I actually do this, you know, tomorrow? How do I walk with the Spirit? How do I keep in step with the Spirit and abide in the vine and all those sorts of things in the midst of all the chaos of life, in the daily life and the, the traffic and the social media and the text messages and the meetings and the meetings and looking after all the kids and everything? How do we actually do this? Well, do you know what? It's really simple. It's not rocket science. You don't have to get to Bible college to actually figure this one out. Get ready for this. You live like Jesus. <laughs> that is simple, huh? You live like Jesus. <laughs> if you want to experience the life, that Jesus, life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to live the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience what Jesus called life and life to the full, you know that sort of default sort of response of love, joy, peace and forbearance and all those sorts of things. We need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you ever read through the four Gospels about Jesus, what you see about Jesus is he is so attractive. He's just amazing. He's incredible. He's so compelling. He's magnetic. He draws people to himself. He draws us in. When you read about him, his life is just so amazing. So when you read about him, think about all the things that you want to experience of Jesus' life. And then, we don't just have to believe all the right things about Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. We have to actually follow Jesus. We have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Have you ever um, met a musician, a great musician, and you've kind of watched them play, and as you watch them play, you're just like, wow, man, I thought, I wish I could play like that. Or anybody, you know, you've probably seen somebody in there you know, so knowledgeable and so witty and you just say, man, I'll, you know, I wish I was like that. You know, I've, I've met a, a number of guitarists and, 
watch them play and just being in awe. I went, you know, watching their fingers going down the neck and it's just fluidity and sensitivity and they just make their guitar sing these notes that make the hairs on your neck stand out and I'm just like, whoa, I wish I could do that. <coughs> I wish I could do that. But this is the thing. If you know any great musician, they will tell you that unless you actually practice it, if you, unless you actually play it, unless you actually devote your life to it, you'll never play like that. And that's why I can't play that. <laughs> that's why I hit on the bum notes, and that's why I just stick around the basic phrases and ideas and things that I just play around. It's because I'm, I don't have that lifestyle. I don't, I'm not living it like the musician. I haven't got the lifestyle of a musician. And so I can't do it. I just, it's like I want the fruit, but I don't want to devote myself to actually nurturing the grief. And that, I think it's common with all of us. I don't think I'm the only person that wants shortcuts in everything. Um, maybe I am. Uh, isn't it really simple? It's really, really simple that it's so profound. <laughs> it's simple, but profound. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. And what I mean by your lifestyle is the rituals that you have in your life, the things you do, the routines over and over and over again, the way that you spend your time, your money, the way you organise your day, the way you organise your week and your month, all those sorts of things. That's what I mean by your lifestyle. You know, in the business world, um, there is this expression that it says, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. Now, I've heard that when I've been to church growth and church uh, planting seminars and stuff, except they use the word programs or systems, you know. So your programs or your systems are perfectly designed to give you the results that you are getting. Now think about that in terms of your own life. What are the results that you're getting from your life? As you kind of like, you know, boldly examine your own heart and say, look at yourself, what is it, what the fruit, what is the fruit that you're getting from your life? Is it good fruit? Is it the kind of fruit that you would want to eat? <laughs> See again, your system, in this case, your lifestyle then, how you set up your life, how you dedicate your time, your energy, your finances, is, is perfectly designed to give you, or to give me, the results that we're actually getting. See, being a true disciple of Jesus, being a true follower of Jesus, really living it like Jesus uh, lived it, is about basing your lifestyle on Jesus. It's like a Jesus has set out a template for living. And so it's, uh, that's what it is. It's the basis of setting our lives on the uh, lifestyle, on the template of, of Jesus. Now, what we've got to remember is, yes, Jesus was God and humanity all in one package, so to speak. He was God. He was, you know, if you want to know what God is, or what God looks like, you look at Jesus. The, the, the character of God is, is on display in Jesus' life. But at the same time, if you want to know what a full, true, real human being looks like, you look at Jesus again. <laughs> you look at Jesus. So, again, coming back to you, if you've read the four Gospels and you're reading about Jesus' lifestyle, I've written down a few things which kind of stand out about Jesus' uh, lifestyle. He's never in a rush. I, I, I don't know whether he's missed that with, with Jesus. Other people are trying to rush him, but he's never in a rush. He's, 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 in other words, he, he, was, he wasn't busy, or maybe another way to put it, he wasn't like hurried along. It was, you know, pushed and hurried along. 
He spent loads of time in the community. He loved to go to parties and drink and wine and have food and just hang out with friends and family and stuff. But do you know what he also did? He also spent a lot of time alone. He also spent a lot of time just him, on his own with the Father. Sometimes Jesus, he would just slip away from the disciples and just go and be somewhere on his own with the Father, just kind of processing his feelings before, before God. He spent lots of time sleeping. There's more than one, one occasion in the Bible where they had to wake him up. <laughs> you know, so he, yeah, I'm just thinking, he's my rabbi. I want to be like my rabbi. I want to get into that sleeping business. Um, so <laughs> I'm not doing too well with that at the moment. Um, sometimes he'd get up at 4 a.m. and go off and pray somewhere. Sometimes he'd get up at 9 o'clock and go off and pray. <clears throat> he would observe the Sabbath. He would set aside so that, you know, an entire day where he would just rest and worship God. He was regularly at the synagogue, engaging with others. He lived simply, as far as we know, it was just kind of like the clothes that he had on his back. You know, that, that was Jesus. He lived simply. He, he wasn't out sort of shopping, buying and selling online, like every now and again, Black Friday and, and all that sort of stuff. He lived simply. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. You know what? Jesus was at peace. Jesus knew total peace, total shalom, wholeness, peace, contentment. He had all of those things. Now, what is important is that we don't just assume that he knew those things because he was God. He was, yes, he was God. He is God. But he's also Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, the man, Jesus of Nazareth. He lived in the same world that you and I live in. He struggled with all the same. He experienced all the same problems uh, and issues that you and I struggle with and experience. <coughs> in fact, you could actually argue that he had a much harder life than what we have. I mean, at the end of the day, how many of us have been wrongfully accused and then tortured and killed? Not many others. And yet, in the midst of all that, in spite of all of that, he still knew peace. Perfect peace. Okay, flip the coin over then and say, what about us? This is our lifestyle then. We're often over busy all the time. <laughs> Actually, this is kind of a confession. I think I'm, these scriptures I was going through, I think this is in me. Uh, so you probably think, I oh, don't relate to this at all. But you may do. Uh, we're over busy all the time. We're on the phone constantly. I was reading about digital addiction. Apparently it's a real thing. And it's a real big deal, digital addiction. So many of us are addicted to using digital technology. Bizarre. Stuck. Can't live life without it. Many of us are just buying way more than what we actually need. <laughs> We're not sleeping enough. <laughs> not getting enough sleep at night. You know, some time ago I was listening to some lectures from a guy called Dr. Arch Hart. He's a world specialist on uh, stress and depression. And he was saying, you know, much of the problems that we have in our health, in our life, is that we're just trying to cram too much into our day. We're just trying to cram too much into our week. Often we don't Sabbath, do we? We're honest, a lot of the time we don't Sabbath. And then we're just like wondering, why is it I don't actually experience peace in my life? <laughs> we say to ourselves, you know, like, I'm stressed out. And yet I pray, I go to church, I ask for more of the Holy Spirit every week, what's going on? And, you know, I read that passage where it said, Jesus said, in my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Why is it I feel stressed, God? 
And God says, because peace isn't something that we kind of just download and transfer as like a one-off thing like this, but, you know, certain circumstances, like, ah, yeah, here's a chunk of peace for you because you're going through a tough time right now. That's not the way it works. See, peace is a byproduct of apprenticeship to Jesus. You start to take on the lifestyle of Jesus, so you plan your life. You start to rearrange your, your life as best you can based on that template of Jesus. And guess what? You start to live in peace. You start to experience peace in your life. Now, like I, I said earlier, our system is perfectly designed to give you the results that we're actually getting. <laughs> By the way, this, this is not some kind of guilt trip thing. <laughs> it's not the intention to make people say, oh, I feel, <laughs> feel really guilty there, Rob. At the end of the day, I am abysmal at most of these things. This is so, so challenging to me. As I was preparing this last night, I, I couldn't finish this talk because I was just like, oh, I'm stuck on with it so much and I, I'm not going to talk about it. And she so just said, well, be honest. Uh, so there you go. I, I struggle with all of this. I'm so disorganised. I don't structure my life very well. I'm always trying to cram too much into the day. I'm always praying that prayer. God, can you extend my day by another five hours, please? <laughs> I'm so bad at this. But we're all in it together. That's my point. I'm in this with you. <laughs> There's no guilt. But what I'm learning myself and what I'm trying <clears throat> to put across is the lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. <laughs> simple. The lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. You know, all of that what Jesus called um, life and life to the full. It was like an overflow out of the um, kind of an inner disposition uh, shaped by abiding, by remaining in, by making his home in the Father. And if we want to get on on board with that, if we want to kind of get in on that, that what Jesus uh, shows us, what we have to do is to rearrange our life. We need to change our lifestyle. We need to change our lifestyle and, and pattern it, or put it, model it on the pattern of that what Jesus laid down. So here's a plan. I've got a plan. I've got a little challenge for us. I had no idea how to finish this because, as I said, I'm quite rubbish at the, all, most of this myself. I'm working at it. it I just go on. Sometimes I'm good, and then I'm like, fail. But I've got a plan. A challenge is this is something for us to do together as a church, okay, so that we can kind of encourage each other and spur each other on in all of this. <coughs> this is where my printouts failed as well. <laughs> as I say, no guilt. But it's a plan. Over the next 45 days, could each of us set aside some time, carve in some time during our day to read through the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And it's 45 days. And I kind of set up like a reading plan here and I put it, we've got it together. Quite surprisingly, if you just do two chapters a day, 45 days later you've done Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It all fits in. It's great. I don't know. I think Jesus did that. So that's that's the idea, is that we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but... With a particular focus, what we're going to do is particular, have a particular interest in or looking at the lifestyle of Jesus as we read through it. And maybe make it jot down some things. Yeah, Jesus is amazing. He's just incredible. Every time you read stuff about Jesus, you always find new things about Jesus. So that's, what, that's 
I'd kind of like to challenge the plan. <clears throat> During our reading, ask ourselves the question, how does my lifestyle differ from the lifestyle of Jesus? Because it probably will, if you're like me. It probably will. But I had this phrase, I had this phrase a while ago called closing the gap when he was talking about discipleship and it's like, you know, take everything you know about Jesus, his lifestyle, his character, who he is and put that there and then think about yourself here <coughs> you'll probably notice there's a gap <laughs> and discipleship is just simply closing the gap you know, it's just like becoming more and more like Jesus so that's what we're going to do if you want to do this again, no, it's not you could do this we're not like that in this church we, the invitation is for you to join me on that journey through the Gospels over the next 45 days. And as we read it, ask ourselves, how do I differ? Why does my lifestyle differ from that of Jesus' lifestyle? Consider that list. You know, that um, prayer, fasting, solitude and silence, the Sabbath-keeping community, giving, all those things. And maybe focus on what two, two of those things, what can I do to creatively carving some time into the routines of my day to growing two of those things over this 45-day period. Now, maybe for some of you, you could argue, actually, re- I'm reading the Bible, so that's one of them already. <laughs> so I only have to pick another one, if that's the way you're looking at it. Yeah, do it that way. But, the, I, you know, I think, I'm convinced that this is simple but life-changing. I think this will transform our lives remarkably and we'll become more like Jesus in in who we are. So that's a plan over the next 45 days. Now my printer gave me two printouts, okay? (laughs) So you have to take it and and write it out and then pass it on to somebody. No, you don't have to do that. What I'm going to do is just leave it on the table here and if you want to come out and just have have a look through that. I've got some things, some questions at the bottom maybe to ask ourselves as we're going through it. But if you want to do that, if you want to message me, and I'll email you that, so you've got it on your own computer, then you can print it out, stick it on the fridge, you know, or whatever you want to do. Maybe, I just thought that would... And maybe also, um, if you think it's beneficial, if you want to come on this journey with me, why don't you tell somebody else here that you kind of mates with, and tell them that you're actually doing it, and then and that can give them the opportunity to ask you in a couple of weeks' time, or maybe once a week, how are you doing with a reading plan? And then you can kind of ask them back and say, yeah, I'm doing all right, but how are you doing? <laughs> it's kind of a accountability thing, you know? And I just think you kind of get things done if we made that sort of commitment and at least say something to somebody else. So, that's the invitation. I think it would be really great we just going to discover some new things about Jesus. We, I guarantee we'll find things about Jesus. We'll find things about ourselves. Uh, Let me just leave you with this thought, this last thought. There is a life waiting for you. There is a life waiting for you. It's an open invitation of Jesus. Come and see. That's Jesus' invitation. Come and see. That's his call. The call of Jesus. Come and see him. Come and find him. Come and be with him. Come and make home in him. You and I are invited to that. You and I are invited to slow down, to quiet our minds and our bodies and everything, right in the midst of all the chaos of life and all the clatter 
and the noise of life and just to slow down and stop. We are invited in that place to be with Jesus. Why don't we stand?